Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Trish. Yes? What do you have for your lunch? <laughs> cheese and bread of a variation. Did you have cheese on toast? Because I had cheese on toast, which is very odd that we would be having the same lunch at the yeah. same time in different parts of the world. <laughs> Well, it was cheese, cheese and bread of a variation, but it was cheese on homemade soda bread. I don't even know what homemade soda oh. bread is. <laughs> don't tell mine, me, plain, plain white slice. Yeah, mine was a toasty mm. thing, plain white yeah. slice with cheese. And do you know what I do, which is so disgusting, really upsets everybody? Marmite. Oh, no, no, I get that. Cheese and Marmite, bit of a tangy mm. buzz to it. And because I'm on my own in the kitchen, I just lick the knife with the Marmite oh. on it. <laughs> Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. And we're here to share everything we know and have learned about being in our marvellous midlife. Yes, we'll be celebrating the highs as well as laughing and sometimes crying through the lows about all the issues that affect women at this stage of life, from sleep and sex to parenting and the perils of perimenopause. In today's episode, we're going to be ditching the Percy pigs and sharing the best midlife nutrition advice to shrink an expanding waistline and help with some of those other dreaded perimenopause symptoms. We'll be discussing the etiquette of WhatsApp parent and friends groups, and we'll also be chatting to the all-round amazing writer, professor and nurse, Christy Watson, who will be inspiring us with her life lessons from birth to teens, midlife and beyond. And don't forget, we love to hear your life lessons and midlife experiences too either on our private Facebook group, on Instagram, or by email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. Yes, we've really enjoyed reading the threads on the Facebook group and joining in with them too while we've been away. Uh, we've learned so much and I have to say what an amazing group of women you all are. There's just so much warmth, kindness and advice as well as lots of laughs on there, isn't there Lorraine? Yes, I keep me very entertained mm. with all your questions. We've had fashion questions, mental health questions, menopause questions, HRT questions and there's a lot of experts on our Facebook group as well who can always step in with proper expert advice. I mean, I really love Tanya who hasn't been on Facebook for a while and she wrote gosh how unusual is this I turned away from Facebook long ago such depressing posts but returning now just for groups like this one thank you and welcome and hello to all and did you read the one from Emma Trish I did yes she said I haven't had the chance to say it till now but I am totally loving these podcasts and the group thank you so much I've got lots of friends but not many with teenage children that I see much nowadays and the podcasts and chats on here are like having an instant group of teenagers mummy menopausal mates bloody brilliant thank you so much bit of swearing there very good <laughs> and i also like this one as well i love anything that starts love the podcast though it says <laughs> love the podcast it's so welcome at this time of life where information is scarce or overwhelming depending on what you search for i also really enjoy having a laugh too it's a great balance i've had a few brain fog moments this week but on the plus side i am now in a new job after five months on furlough and many nights of worry it seems my 33 years of work experience 
really does count for something. Anyway, keep up the great work and I look forward to listening regularly. That's great, isn't it? To hear people's stories like that and to get updates, good updates and lots of positivity. Because really the overwhelming mantra, which is the whole point of the podcast actually, is that you're not alone. There's always someone there for you. Now it's time to get on with the podcast and start our chatting in earnest. First up, we've got our new section, which we're calling Jibber Jabber, aren't we, Trish? Because that's what we do. I think you're Jibber and I'm Jabber. Bit of Jibber Jabber. (laughs) This is where we share our thoughts on one of the things that we had hoped to be in midlife, but aren't necessarily sure if we have achieved it yet. And we're also asking, how important is it really anyway? Right, Lorraine, so you ready for today's word? Yeah, I'm on it. it. I'm ready. You're on it. Okay. It's alluring oh (laughs) now you're looking pretty alluring from where i'm sitting but do you feel it and if so can you just share what it's like with the rest of us well i'll take that as a compliment because you've got your glasses on so you can it was meant as well yeah so i think alluring is a really interesting one it's one of those things you kind of aspire to in midlife because it's about being feminine it's about remaining i suppose the energy of youth rather than being youthful or wanting to be youthful um and also, is it about being sexy? Am I allowed to say that? Because I think well, alluring is about flirting a little it's bit. It's about it? being enticing and flirting, definitely, and attracting people towards you. Not with that you? voice, Trish. <laughs> definitely not. Like something else. <laughs> carry on alluring. A carry on Frankie Howard. Yeah, exactly. Who do you find alluring? Because I've been thinking about this, because I think it's a little bit about how your dress, isn't it? It's about not wanting to wear that cardigan that kind of becomes part of the narrative of midlife or not caring what you look like, sort of retaining a bit of what you were as a woman in, mm. in your youth as well. So I was watching Kristen Scott Thomas, she's oh, in Rebecca, yes. obviously yes. I saw her on the TV the other day and I thought she really is very alluring as a woman. Even and then as I was, old Mrs Danvers, she was Well, not as very... Mrs Danvers, but on Graham Norton, yeah. she, she oh, yeah. just... <laughs> She looked lovely. She looked really yeah. alluring. And then Helena Christensen's just launched a whole new line of clothing with a Danish designer. Mm. And she's in her early 50s and she mm. looks really alluring as well. Yeah. And then Jennifer Saunders, I find, looks amazing. Oh. I think she looks really gorgeous and alluring. I've met her a few times and she's just got a very kind of sexy, flirty spirit. I think her. it's a lot about the eyes. She's got very twinkly eyes, and which, which are very alluring. But I'll tell you someone equally who's got gorgeous eyes and was watching her on the telly last night with Neil. And I, I was sort of almost jaw dropping, which of course, Nigella. I mean, my oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Neil was salivating. I don't know whether he was salivating over her lamb shank or <laughs> whether it was her um, banana know, her banana yeah or her come hither glances but my goodness I mean I was just mesmerized but what I really loved was that she sort of rams these massive forkfuls of food into her mouth doesn't she so you're getting all this kind of lovely flirty eye contact and husky voice and then a big old fork of fish finger goes in and it's just oh, that's brilliant love it it's about being who you want to be isn't it I mean I've well, got a friend who's dating and mm-hmm. she's in her midlife, I would say probably late 40s, might be early 50s, but she's on Bumble and she set her age group for the men she would like to meet mm-hmm. to be under 35. <laughs> Whoa, okay, liking that. She's very alluring, but it's an incredible confidence that she has. And actually what she has said, the lovely dates she's had with much younger men have told her that older women are incredibly alluring. They're very sexy mm-hmm. as a kind of 
flirting that goes with it that's a kind of well-judged flirting as they call it and I guess yeah. that's a sort of ego boost I think you have to be open to it flirting you've got to be in the game you've got to be open to it and I think at this stage in life you're not going to uh, flirt with men who are attached to other women absolutely not because that's likely to be your friends so where does that leave men at work I mean we the business we both work in that mm. very few men and the ones there are no. may not be wanting to flirt with us because Absolutely. they might have a different no. different preferences of allure so i think it's that thing of like you know occasionally you might make eye contact with some hot guy on the bus that's quite nice that does it for me gives does me it? a little buzz yeah <laughs> don't need a lot not the driver checking out whether you're <laughs> My bus pass, yeah. I was walking in Shoreditch. I can't even believe I said that out loud the other day for um, an appointment for an interview I was going to do with someone. And a man I would describe as a silver fox mm-hmm. yeah. smiled at me in an alluring way. <gasps> checked you out. He checked you out. It may be so. Yes, what did you do? What so. did you do? I think I might have blushed or something like that. <laughs> I don't looked know. away. <laughs> I don't know. It makes you feel quite glamorous doesn't it when Mm. um, if you're heterosexual and that's the thing for you I guess it's just do you want to remain alluring which way do you go with your alluring when have you not felt alluring oh um well I didn't feel very alluring this morning when the BT man came to upgrade the broadband and oh my god he was gorgeous obviously he was probably in his 30s and I was in my horrible gym again oh dear just thought oh he probably just thinks look at that old hag and I just thought, oh, but, you know, what can you do? But it was, it was still nice. <laughs> but I'll tell you when I do feel a bit alluring, and this, I don't know, maybe this is a, a little bit sad. It's usually when I'm, I'm sort of tipsy and I might have a dance around the kitchen. <laughs> and I've, I've seen of, alluring, Trish. <laughs> I, I allure to myself in the kitchen window. So I've talked a bit, a bit of kind of dancing <laughs> that might look a bit flirty, imagining maybe there was somebody on the other side of the window. I don't, I don't know. Is that a bit strange? I, I, it's unusual. Yeah. <laughs> what about you when are you alluring apart from walking I, for me yes god knows i mean making it to shoreditch from where i lived at me about five hours I, for me alluring is more about i guess it's about what you wear and how that makes you feel that indian knight wrote a really lovely piece in uh, the times last year i think she wrote about how as you get older you turn manners into being charming mm-hmm. and charming makes you alluring Mm. but really it's just really good manners and I also think there's something in being a little bit mysterious so Kristen Scott Thomas on on telly the Mm. other day was was quite mysterious Mm. she was quite reticent about all that information Mm. and there, there is a generation of women who haven't told everybody everything in a Kim Kardashian way. Mm. We haven't seen everything about them. So there's something alluring about them. I think Emma Thompson's really mm. um, alluring in many ways as well. She dresses so beautifully. Sam Taylor Wood dresses so beautifully. Mm-hmm. I think so there's a bit of alluring. So when I'm dressed really well, I feel alluring. I suppose it's, <laughs> it's more about having a zest and less about yeah. age, isn't yeah. it? But is it something you wanted to be before you hit midlife? I think definitely because you, I think there's a bit just before menopause and I don't know, I, I kind of think, I've read that this is a sort of actually a hormonal thing because when your, your hormones are all fluctuating, your estrogen, your progesterone drops and your testosterone can often end up being the highest thing just before like your late 40s, just before it all kind of kicks off and then you get a bit frisky and you start 
you start, it's almost like that last hurrah. Obviously, it's not a last hurrah, but it's something in your body is going, oh, get out there. I'm be alluring. I, yes, I think you're absolutely right. I'm, I was a bit frisky at that point with men yeah. and women, everything. Oh, yes, everything. Frisky all the time. <laughs> I once interviewed Diane von Fostenberg, who I, I came to know quite mm. well through my editorship of Elle when I was on fashion magazines. And I swear to God, that woman, when I interviewed her, and she must have been in her 60s, could flirt mm-hmm. with a table. She was just, everything in the room was under her radar and she was frisky with it, frisky Mm. with everything Mm. in the room. There's a certain frisson, isn't there, that comes with that? Yes, we like that word frisson. Well, I think we are going to save alluring, we're going to keep alluring, and we're going to use Diane and Kristen and Emma as our alluring role models. Let's do it. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Our guest this week is Christy Watson, a nurse, a writer, and professor of medical health humanities at the University of East Anglia. Her books, The Language of Kindness and The Courage to Care, A Call for Compassion, are a fascinating insight into the world of nursing in which she weaves her own personal life story and the lessons about humanity that she has learned along the way. Welcome, Christy. Thank you so much for having me on. And congratulations on your new book. We both really, really loved it. Can you just explain, give us a little idea for anybody who hasn't read it yet, what it's about and why you wanted to write it? The Courage to Care is about nursing. And it's also about family. And I'd written another memoir prior to that called The Language of Kindness, which was very much about hospital nursing in uniform and my experiences in busy NHS hospitals. And with The Courage to Care, I really wanted to draw on my experiences, but also I started to realise that the book was also about family. It was about my own family, but also the families of the patients I was looking after. And that's how it sort of morphed into something quite different. You've been on the front line of the pandemic and you actually returned as a critical care nurse, didn't you, during that time to work with covid patients so first of all thank you to you and all of the NHS staff doing that because we obviously couldn't have done any of it without you but what did you see and what were you surprised that you saw over the summer of 2020? It's quite weird because already it feels a little bit surreal and almost Mm. dreamlike because it was such an exceptional time and even having been a critical care nurse for 20 odd years I'd never experienced anything like it. None of us had ever experienced anything like it, really. It was incredibly traumatising. It was also a great reminder in the importance of family and the importance of joy and hope and faith and all those things that sometimes we forget about during our everyday lives. So it was a real pivotal moment. I've been really delighted to come on the podcast and talk about midlife, actually, because I feel like this year has given me some sense of a collective midlife, that we're all at that vantage point at the moment. We're all on top of a mountain that we've climbed already. (laughs) We've got another mountain to go, unfortunately. But we're now looking around at the world and thinking, about the rest of our lives and how we want to live it, both individually, but also in a community sense. And were you quite scared? Because you had 
family. So you were going into a very new environment with patients suffering from something you'd never, ever seen before in all of your nursing. And also incredibly contagious. Were you scared of bringing that home? Absolutely terrified. And obviously, I spent many sleepless nights making the decision, um, worrying that I'd made the right decision or the wrong decision. And I used to come home I'm sure like all healthcare workers after 12 and a half hours. And before anything else, I would scrub myself down, put all my clothes in a hot wash, get in the shower, wash my hair, spray my keys, my bag, everything I possibly could. And only after that half an hour sort of decontamination period did I shout for my kids to come out of their bedrooms and obviously hug them like I'd never hugged them before. I didn't feel very courageous or brave, but certainly my family members gave me that courage. So here you are, wonderful nurse, written two brilliant books, but talk a bit about your background because you were a very wayward teen, weren't you? I'm 44, just turned 44 in September. I have two teens. They are 13 and 16. I was an incredibly wayward teen myself, as you've quite rightly pointed out. I always tried to do everything to the best of my abilities, and that included my teenage years. I really went (laughs) gusto with the teenage years. I am absolutely 100% perimenopausal, which I'm sure we'll talk about. (laughs) I'm a single parent. I'm raising mixed heritage teens. We've got quite an unusual family setup, I guess. I adopted my son and I also was a step parent to my previous partner's adult daughter. But we're a very happy family. And and so far, and I want to touch some wood at the moment, but so far my teens are an awful lot better than I was at their age. So I'm thanking all the gods for that. Mm-hmm. And how do you cope with all that stress? That's a lot going on. What are your coping mechanisms? I mean, I'm back in my day job at the moment. You know, my day job is as a writer. So yes. I feel a bit yeah. fraudulent to say that I'm back on the front line at the moment. I went back for the first peak. And yeah. although I'm still a registered nurse, I'm a professor of medical humanities at UEA. And I'm a full-time writer, both of fiction and non-fiction. So my life is nowhere near as stressful as my colleagues who are still mm. on the front line and will carry on on the front line. I'd say that we're all going through an incredibly stressful time. I don't think it's any less or more stressful depending on circumstance. It was funny because when I went back to work in critical care this year, I remember my neighbours and friends complaining about the boredom and complaining about things like, oh, the delivery didn't arrive when it was supposed to, or I've just been on the phone to BT for the last hour and a half. I'm losing my mind. And I remember thinking, wow. (laughs) I wish I was bored. And now I'm in a situation where I am working from home and I'm feeling exactly the same. I am mind-numbingly bored and really finding working from home very, very difficult. So I think it's all relative to individual circumstance. The anxiety has made way for a bit of global depression, I think. Mm -hmm. How do you perk yourself up from that then? My usual mechanisms I've shunned. I'm booze-free for this lockdown, which is a long lockdown. I know, exactly. (laughs) But I'm relying on all the things I ever did, which is my my colleagues, my friends, making sure that I read lots of fiction, which I don't know about you guys, but I couldn't Mm. read fiction. I just Mm. couldn't concentrate at the earlier part of the year. So I'm really loving reading and writing Mm. again, which is a joy. Trying to take a walk every single day, trying to be in nature, trying to exercise. Although sometimes I do just sit in my gym wear and watch 
exercise on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) You talk about being bored and reading the books. I mean, you can't imagine that, you you know, in that previous life in nursing that you would have a second to be bored. And so much of what you experienced in nursing, sort of, it seems that it helped you deal with your own personal challenges in life. Were there any sort of particular kind of life lessons that you've learned from incidents in your nursing? Definitely. And I think it goes both ways. I think my, my difficult times in my life really influenced my nursing as well. So I found it useful to be on both sides of the fence. And certainly when you've been a patient or had a loved one who's sick or dying, then it gives you a very different perspective going into work as a nurse. You hope that you always have empathy and compassion anyway. But I think that's reinforced massively when you've experienced it firsthand. But for my nursing, I mean, there are so many different lessons that nursing gave me. One of the probably greatest lessons, I think, is to live with my eyes wide open. Because in nursing, you understand that life can turn on a dime and that very awful things happen to good people. And it's really, really important to be in the here and now and to spend time with your friends and family and understand that stuff doesn't really matter and the things that do matter are connections and relationships and love and kindness so I think that's probably the biggest lesson I had from nursing I think probably every single day in my career I learned something that I took home with me some of it was good and some of it was not so good you know sometimes you do develop a sick sense of humor for example I'm sure my my humor is a little bit darker than most shall we say (laughs) and some of the conversations that I have with my nurse friends I I wouldn't want to air (laughs) but I think again that's a coping mechanism it's what we use to get through the dark times is to develop this this gallows humor. I found it particularly moving reading about what had happened to children and some of the children who'd been very poorly treated and you were clearing up the mess really you were trying to help these children live physically and emotionally I would find that quite difficult to then go home to my own children without being terrified you know, something awful was going to happen to them did it make you an anxious parent or were you able to switch that bit off I describe in the courage to care about when my daughter was born and yes. feeling very anxious particularly about physical health conditions and everything flashed in my head all the memories of children that I'd looked after with various diseases and illnesses and the possibility were awful of the things that could go wrong I quickly sort of got over that and became almost horizontal and I think with healthcare workers you go one way or another and my children now I mean like many children of nurses imagine they just are never ill that's not to say they aren't ill it's just to say that their level of illness is not my interpretation of what illness is so they don't have time off school for example they often complain that they'd have to be bleeding to death or something with to get a day off school and so I've gone the other way I went from being hyper anxious I think to being horizontal and I think somewhere in the middle is probably better mm-hmm. and it's good to know from what you've seen the enormous capacity children have to recover. I think a lot of mums think they'll never get over this. I will never be able to put this right. I've made terrible mistakes. But actually, children do have the capacity to go on and and, and to be better, don't they? I think it's one of the reasons that I wanted to be a paediatric nurse. And I found my feet in paediatric intensive care because children, they run towards life. You know, you're born with a really fast heartbeat. And actually, people towards the end of their life who are older, they sort of creep away from life. Everything slows, slows, slows. But with children, they bounce back 
very quickly. They get sick very, very quickly, but they bounce back very quickly. And their will to survive, I think, is philosophically very interesting, but also it's a joy to be around. It reminds you that anything is possible. And some of the sickest children I've ever looked after, who we didn't have much hope for, have ended up coming back a few years later and seeing the nurses and they're back at school and they're living a full life, which is a real joy. And in terms of moving on to talk about teens or coming back to teens, obviously we've got a lot of listeners who are parenting teens at the moment and going through all sorts of challenges and some fantastic bits, but some challenging bits as well. Um, I'd love to just step back a bit again to talking about yourself being a chaotic teen and how did your mum and dad deal with it and how would you advise parents now if they're struggling with as, as somebody who's come through and out the other side what advice would you give my parents were great I was very lucky I had a very stable happy childhood they were always ever present but I think they had quite a different approach to how they dealt with me when I was very chaotic as you said and my dad would sort of hide he had an allotment which you'd go to quite a lot <laughs> and at the time I thought it was about healthy vegetables but it was probably about uh, keeping hiding. out yeah. Bit, yeah. <laughs> so my mum and I were constantly arguing from about the age of 13 to about the age of 16 until I left home essentially and now we have the most incredible relationship so I just think sometimes there is a problem and and hopefully that after you've had this chaotic period that you'll find each other again and reconnect and it's through nobody's fault sometimes as well I do wonder now how they would have parented me now and I think probably I could have done with therapy and it would have helped help the whole situation so I, I feel like although we have got a very difficult time at the moment as well at least we are open and, and talking about all these things which is really helpful for both teens and their parents I think mm-hmm. and the teenage years are a bit like the menopausal years or the perimenopausal <laughs> years aren't they because it's a similar neurology that's happening in people's brains it's a similar hormone changing situation so you say you're perimenopausal you're a medic, you will know what those words mean. So for Trish and I, this was a complete surprise. No idea what was going on and really thought I had some kind of early onset dementia or something like that. So where are you? And talk a bit about the medical profession and how they view it, because we fear that they don't take it that seriously. Well, it's very interesting because although you would think I've been a nurse forever and I've got some sort of medical knowledge, last year when I began to lose my mind, my keys, my hair, my sense of identity, my sense of self, my sleep, my joint pain. I mean, if you could go down the list of about 3 billion things, I think I'd take 2 billion at least. And But I didn't know about this list and I hadn't heard the term perimenopause in everyday conversation and certainly not in the NHS. And so I found myself in therapy thinking that I was depressed and about to have some kind of huge monumental breakdown. As a single parent, I thought it's a bit like, I suppose, the reason I get the flu jab every year is I just can't afford to have two weeks off and I just can't afford to have a breakdown because who's going to look after the kids, right? So I found myself quite early on thinking I'm losing it now big time and I need to get some help. And it was a therapist who said, I think this could be hormonal. It was quite a revelation to me because I said I'm getting my periods you know I'm only 43 at the time or 42 I think I was she said well it's perfectly feasible that you've got perimenopause and this can really really affect people in in a terrible way and how were your teenagers how did you cope with puberty did it really affect you and I thought wow actually that makes (laughs) sense 
it's a spectrum and some people are obviously very very sensitive to it and I'm, I'm on that end I think but I had an incredible GP I think I was very very lucky in that I went to the GP and she said let's not bother with blood tests let's start you on a low dose HRT and if you feel better in three weeks then we know what it was within 24 hours yeah. I was dancing in the street I mean <laughs> literally <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> remarkable to us that you're in the medical profession yeah. a huge proportion of the NHS workforce must be perimenopausal at any one time yet if people like you don't know about it and the symptoms and how to deal with it it's it's really gobsmacking isn't it it's gobsmacking I've been trying to analyze it and the other thing that's really gobsmacking is the moment I started waxing lyrical about how great I feel and how the HRT patches on a very low dose at the time had, had changed my entire life that my friends started saying well what was the problem and I told them and they said oh my god that's exactly the same as me and so many of them have had different experiences and some of them I have to say have had to really really fight to get the right advice and some of them are still fighting so it's been a revelation because I'd always imagined in my 50s I'd have to start dealing with the menopause but again like you said this perimenopause period I, I had never, never heard of it really not really given it much thought it wasn't discussed at work or within my friendship group which now mm. it's all pretty much all we talk about <laughs> which is good <laughs> how can we make this better how can we educate the medical profession I guess and G I mean I hate to bash out GPs because they're working incredibly hard and and this is a very small part of their training but it is more than 50% of the population <laughs> sometimes change within the medical profession comes because of change required by the public and I think that might be the way that this is going and unfortunately of course we know it's gendered and if if men were going through this then we wouldn't be having these discussions I think in nursing it's a huge problem and you, you can imagine nurses now vast vast numbers in their 40s and 50s who are wearing head-to-toe PPE yeah. in baking hot yeah. Yeah. environments and who just must be feeling shocking so I think it's a really valuable thing that you're doing and yes keep fighting the good fights please is there a way of getting nurses to talk about it a bit more do you think I think there's a change within nursing um I yeah. think that there has been some very good work by the Royal College of Nursing about menopause in nursing and, and what we mm. should do to support colleagues and people who are working on the front line. I do think there is a sort of start of a sea change. And now that you're super happy on HRT, <laughs> feeling great about yourself, <laughs> Not all the time. About, <laughs> what is it that you're looking forward to at this stage of midlife? I feel like it is a pause. It's time to take stock, to reset and to think about life as not an endless amount of time, but to think, right, what do I want to do with the rest of my time? How do I want to live my life? And it does feel a bit like freedom. I guess it feels like some kind of power, even though it's, a, it's quite an anxious time. It also feels like a time when you can make choices not based on what you think you should be doing because I think that becomes far less important but what you actually want to do actually in France the menopause is called second adolescence which I love mm. and it does feel like and it, obviously we go through adolescence and we're trying to find our identity but when you go through the menopause it's another shot at identity who am I now what do I want now that's really reassuring and comforting that you get a chance 
to find out exactly who you are and in the words of Dolly Parton do it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> you started a career in nursing in your late teens had you always liked writing when did it happen? When my daughter was born I was on maternity leave and had this time for the first time ever and I suppose again being relative I was I was really used to being busy all the time and she slept a lot and I mean a lot <laughs> which was God, amazing. Lucky you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's very annoying. <laughs> it's very annoying I know but she slept a lot and so I started writing and I did a very short course at the Mary Ward Centre which was next to Great Ormond Street in beginners creative writing. I wrote this short story basically it was to get me out of the house really I didn't really think anything would happen from it but I wrote a short story my tutor at the time said was very good and I should think about an MA. I googled MA creative writing and UEA came up as the first one and I sent it off and they offered me a place and they gave me a bursary as well and that first short story became a novel and it went on to win the Costa First Novel Award. So it was the stuff of dreams really looking back. Everything's kind of full circle because I was a professor at UEA but with a medical humanities slant so I've been really really lucky, really fortunate and to get to do not just one, but two jobs I absolutely love, I think is, is a privilege. Oh, amazing. Uh, I just wanted to kind of finish really on the idea of compassion, because that is the theme of, of the book. And why does it matter so much? And how can we all be a bit more compassionate? When I was discussing this week with various people about the pandemic and how awful it is, I, I feel like the danger that we've got now is that we want to go back to the time before the pandemic. There's a Welsh word, and any Welsh listener, please forgive me now, because I will pronounce this wrong, but it's called hiriaeth, and it means rose-tinted glasses or a longing for something that didn't really exist in the first place. And so I don't want us to go back to the time before the pandemic. It was pretty rubbish for many, many people. The world was full of injustice. In the NHS particularly, we were suffering from years of austerity. Things were really tough for lots of people. But I think now, this year particularly, we've seen a kind of shift in values away from stuff what we look like and we're thinking much more about kindness and compassion and community and I really hope that moving forwards we still hold those things dear because really compassion this year has shown us is the single most important thing it's much more important than individualism the cult of youth and all those things that we did hold value in before. And I think working in hospitals is a bit like, I suppose, being at an airport. You know, when you see people back in the days when people travelled, you see people come and go from an airport and just hug their relatives so tightly and the look on their faces. And ho hospitals are like that too. You see the most devastating things, but you also see the most incredible acts of compassion and the fact that family and friendships are the single most things that matter to everyone, to all of us in the end. Oh, thank you so much, Chrissy. Everyone must go and read both your books, actually. What's your very first novel called then, the Costa Prize one? Sorry, I've written four, so I won't read all them all. But the first novel that I wrote was Tiny Sunbirds Far Away. Thank you very much, Christy. It's been such a delight to talk to you, especially after reading your books and hearing all your wonderful words of wisdom. It's just such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Now it's time for What Would You Do, in which we share a midlife dilemma about family, parenting or friends. This week, Lorraine, you've got a bit of a bee in your bonnet, haven't you, about WhatsApp groups? Yes, yeah, so our dilemma this week, should I stay or should I go on the school WhatsApp groups? So I have four children, I have four different school WhatsApp groups. Now, 
WhatsApp, if you don't know, is owned by Facebook. It's a messaging system. It's been going about 11 years. There are about 1.5 billion users on WhatsApp. And I'll tell you now that hardly any of them know how to use it. (laughs) It's driving me mad. I ask a simple question. I don't get a simple answer. I ask about, I don't know, a uniform question of some sort. And then I get embroiled in a four-hour conversation um, signing a petition to save some elephants somewhere else in the world. It's all so ridiculous. I've come to the point thinking, I'll just come off the WhatsApp groups. Then I realize there is an etiquette for coming Mm. off the WhatsApp groups. It's a bit like it's making a giant statement. It's like putting cat poo through the, le- the neighbor's letterbox <laughs> in protest about them or standing on a table and saying you're all boring I don't want to talk to you anymore so <laughs> I am in a should I stay or should I go or mm. what are the rules of the WhatsApp yes group? yes it's difficult isn't it because it is that thing of quite often you get invited into them and you can't not join them because you're sort no. of invited whether it's but I, I think there are quite useful ones that I've got like family and friends ones but you're right it's the kind of things like the school ones and I'm sort of beyond that now because you don't really do those in sixth form college but with the the littler ones yes and back in my day when I was class rep we weren't really using whatsapp and now I just think thank god because it's just it's very time consuming isn't it and it's it's when people start having their own personal little conversation within the group as well and you've got to kind of keep up with that thread so it's so is your is your dilemma what's the polite way to leave a whatsapp group it is yeah. Yes, okay. it's possible. But I've got a list of types that I think should be banned from WhatsApp then. groups. Um, the 605ers. So the people who send a WhatsApp at 6.05 a.m. <laughs> I can't start that early with the school WhatsApp. Yep. I, I can't do religious people on no, WhatsApp okay. because that feels like a slight intrusion into my beliefs. I can't do people who put inspirational quotes with oh. flower pictures. No. That makes me quite cross. Um, and then the unfunny people who think they're funny and you have to listen to or read all of those WhatsApps thinking mm. that there is a punchline, but there is no punchline. <laughs> so that, that's quite annoying. And then the one that really annoys me the most, and this is because I'm probably not a very nice person underneath. <laughs> it's what I call the violently grateful Oh gosh, okay, People too much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You don't need to say thank you. Thank you for your thank you. Or yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it's just another ping that drives you mad. Isn't it, it is. Do you know what I think? I think there should be some rules. Mm, like Facebook group rules. They're really useful. Admin. Mm. The admin should say, ask a question, it will be answered. Do not engage in a massive conversation about something else on mm-hmm. here. If you want people to sign a petition or do these things, there is a, that is a different WhatsApp group from the one about whether we should be buying Christmas presents this, at this stage for teachers. I think there should mm-hmm. be some kind of... Mm. And I'm a right old Grinch, aren't I? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I think if you could, um, you could change the direction and save everybody a lot of time <laughs> and annoyance well, and rage about it. That shall I come off good. it then? Shall I come um, off the WhatsApp group? I, what, if you came off it, what, what impact would that have? Well, I wouldn't know what was going on, Trish. I mean, I... But do I you anyway? Be... Do you anyway having to draw? through all the reams and reams i just don't know i feel like i have to stay Mm. on but i should probably just mute it i quite like my neighbor's one because that was sort of set up in covid part yes that's nice i like and that was sort of nice community stuff although can i just say i did actually post something asking somebody to stop putting up statistics of covid deaths because i thought it's supposed to be about who wants something from Sainsbury's or, or whatever. Not, <laughs> not how many. Not how many not more just because you, you found a graph somewhere about COVID deaths. So I, I actually just put that on. I said, please, can we just keep this? And he went, oh, 
okay, fine. And then that was it. And we've had no more. So maybe, maybe there's a way of just saying, would it be useful to set a few rules and then suggest a few rules? Yes. Maybe if they listen to this podcast, yes. they will be uh, getting the message as well. Do let us know mm. at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com what you would do in this situation. Because, and we'll, um, we'll put it as a question on the Facebook group All well. advice, gratefully welcome. So, being journalists for many, many years, Trish and I are basically very nosy and we can't help ourselves researching, poking about, asking questions and talking to every manner of expert on the topics that matter the most to us. So in our new section of the show, we are sharing our knowledge on how to win at midlife. Yes, and this week we've been chatting with nutritional therapist Jackie Brown about some of the natural things we could be changing in our diet and lifestyle to help with perimenopausal symptoms as well as reducing the midlife middle and boosting our overall health and well-being. Yeah, I absolutely love Jackie because she loves a glass of wine and gets that none of us wants to give up our food and boozy pleasures as we get older. So she says we should take an 80-20 approach, which means being a goody two-shoes for 80% of the time and then indulging in the naughty stuff, sort of caffeine, gin and tonic, sweet treats. You know, I like a donut, Trish, 20% (laughs) of the time. So how do we do that exactly? Because you know quite a lot about this, Trish, and you've spoken to Jackie. And I spoke to Jackie. Right, so Jackie's first piece of advice is about balancing your blood sugar because unbalanced and fluctuating blood sugar can give you the same symptoms as the menopause. So things like mood swings, emotional outbursts. (laughs) So enough of that going on anyway, isn't it? there fatigue brain fog waking up in the night so what do you need to do to balance your blood sugar you have to avoid all the foods that spike your blood sugar that give you a short burst of glucose into your bloodstream and those are those kind of simple carbs sugary foods cakes biscuits ice cream you you know the drill and anything made with refined white flour but rather than just taking everything away jackie advises doing food swaps from your diet because complex carbohydrates are important so she suggests things like Instead of white wheat pasta, use lentil pasta. Instead of white potatoes, use sweet potatoes. Instead of white bread, have whole grain sourdough. So kind of swaps, I think, are really important. And she's Mm. all about snacks as well, because she says that you should be eating every four hours, either a a sort of a meal or or a snack. Wonderful. I know. And these, I think these sound quite nice. An apple with some almond butter. Don't like the sound of that, no. You're going to hate this next one. Peanut butter and celery. And stick your celery. (laughs) There's no cheese toasties on this list, Lorraine. No, can but I, can I, just I, I like you? the tuna and lettuce wrap. I think that's really good. <laughs> yeah, that's really good, isn't it? So, um, yep. So next thing, really important, vegetable variety. And we've talked yeah. before about eating the rainbow. Uh, and those antioxidants, phytochemicals are really good. Um, sort of fiber and a prebiotic. They're good for your gut. You're she does very say into you the gut. Should- I am into the gut. Mm. So there's a very good book by Megan Rossi called The Gut Doctor, which is it's primarily vegetarian food, but it's about getting the bacteria in your gut mm-hmm. right. And there's some great recipes in that. But what Jackie says is that we need to eat at least seven portions of vegetable or variety of vegetable mm. a day. Um, and a portions are kind of small fist size. I think that's 
that's doable isn't it in midlife I think it's quite goey but I sometimes I I hit that but other days not and I'm not going to beat myself up about it but I think it's 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 a good kind of benchmark I know everybody goes on about the five but I think if you're really going for it and maybe if you're struggling in midlife with your with your middle and with some of these symptoms it is kind of worth spending that time and then the other couple of really important things healthy fats because to balance hormones you need good fats to support them and of course the favorite avocados Yes, but omega-3, which yeah, yes, avocados, I is an essential fatty acid, the omega-3, yeah. You can get that from avocados, extra virgin olive oil, nut seeds. And if you're not a, a sort of fish, fishy person, because obviously you can get the oils in that, I'm not a fishy person, flax seeds and chia seeds work really well. Next up, calcium-rich foods. We know yes. about our bone density, really problematic in midlife, or can be, and vitamin D, because you need vitamin D to absorb the calcium. You have to take a supplement in the winter because there is no sunshine and then did you see the nutrient tracker called chronometer no oh well let me tell you about that because this is uh if you're kind of not really sure where you're going with your vitamins and minerals nutritionists like jackie talk about don't buy your health in a supplement obviously you can use supplements if if you haven't got the time or the energy or the brain space to focus on the kind of food groups but she says there are these trackers like that will track your nutrients and minerals and vitamins and everything there's one called chronometer.com and you can get it as an app on your phone it's really interesting because it will tell you how much you've got how much vitamins i've just downloaded in fact, I thought it would be really useful, especially as I'm on the osteoporosis bone watch. And you're a vegetarian. Um, I'm, and a vegetarian, exactly. So I, my two things are protein and calcium, really, I suppose, for that. But I think it's really, really good if you are trying to lose that bit around the middle to kind of keep an eye. And, and yes. I think using a tracker yeah. or a device will kind of really help you do that. So to sum it up, Trish, five ways to win at midlife when it comes to food and diet. So 80-20. Yeah. Track what you eat a bit better. Mm-hmm. Balancing your blood sugar. Vitamin D, which I think is just really, really important. Mm-hmm. And omega-3. And calcium. Throw in a bit of calcium. Very simple, really. So you can find out more or get in touch with Jackie by going to JackieBrownNutrition.com. And she's also a member of the Postcards Facebook group. So you can message her there. Trish, it's time for my favourite bit of Postcards from Midlife possibly the least useful <laughs> of the whole podcast <laughs> let's do some nostalgia oh, noodling yes i know it's your favorite and because i am such a good friend i'm going to let you go first i'm just going to say this to you it's from the <laughs> 70s picture the scene okay? okay this is probably one of my earliest memories mm-hmm. of all time i'm a small child there is an alsatian dog of some sort we always had alsatians because my dad was in the police so we had the mm. alsatian puppy so german shepherd alsatian next to me i'm looking at the garden through rainbow curtains do you remember them <laughs> no i don't what are rainbow curtains do you not remember the strips uh, yeah taped up to the oh, top of the yes. door Oh, yes. just jumping up and down now yeah. and they were just um plastic strips rainbow yes. strips and I remember looking through them as a tiny child. Um, we used to live on a police estate, um, which came with my dad's job. And I used to be able to see across the breakwater at Plymouth. I don't mm-hmm. know how I can remember this. I must have been really little, like <laughs> yeah. two or three or four. But I remember those rainbow curtains. And ever since, I sort of subconsciously buy that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have some made out of shells. They're oh, still in a box. Okay. They're just awful. But they came to mind because you can buy them on Amazon now. Mm-hmm. Do 
you, how much do you think you pay for a rainbow curtain? I, I don't know, but I'm, I hope they're made from recycled plastic. <laughs> I doubt it, Trish. It's like everything <laughs> in the 70s. It was a slight yeah. health hazard, death hazard. Mm. And my dad used to stick them up with... Um, evo stick do you remember oh that yeah. yeah yeah so you couldn't pull them off so if you got one stuck around your neck you were gonna hang yourself. you were gonna, you were strangle. gonna strangle yourself mm. basically yeah they're seven pound sixty on amazon <gasps> bargain bargain definitely not made for recycling no. and shouldn't be in a house with small no. children can no i just say i'm not quite sure why but i always associate those with shops you know, it's always the sort of stuck up in the shop and the shopkeeper would go through the back. They would part like the Mr. rainbow ben. curtain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's probably because I just didn't, I didn't, we didn't have them in our house. I think but, they um, were for um, oh, keeping out flies in the yes. summer as well, nice. weren't they? Very nice. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Did the dog warm, like them? Warms my heart, a rainbow it curtain. Does. I'm sure I'll be able to get one up somewhere in the house mm-hmm. without someone protesting. Now. Well, Oh. Where, where's where's your where how far back have you gone well, I, I liked your gy- leotard and your gymnastics that's oh, my favorite nostalgia I know, that was a good one. it's funny it's funny how they just pop into your mind these things so mine popped when i was thinking about being alluring and i don't know why but well i do know why it's going to be obvious elvis presley movies do you remember oh, yes, elvis presley movies yes. and i think the yes. reason why i sort of remember those is because i really associated them with school holidays and i just remember i really particularly remember one christmas where i feel it was like on there was an elvis presley uh, movie on every single morning on bbc2 and my sister would lie on the sofa and then i'd have to lie on the the top bit of the sofa against the wall clinging on desperately <laughs> While we were watching things like um, Blue Hawaii, G- Blue Hawaii, GI Blues. I mean, I'm sorry, Elvis in that uniform, and then Viva Las Vegas, of course, with with the amazing Anne Margaret. I, I mean, you just can't take your eyes off him. He's just mesmerising. So even though they're a bit cheesy and awful, some cheesy songs, some very good songs. It was it was really because he has the allure, doesn't he? He had the allure. It's funny how we would know, this generation would know probably most Elvis songs, mm. whether you're a fan or not. But I would imagine anyone under about 30 probably hasn't heard of Elvis. No, they? they might not have done. They might not have done. But he lives on in our hearts and on Netflix, because I think you can, uh, you can watch some of those You've on You've watched there. this, haven't you, Trish? That's what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, well, that's definitely good. I'm going to be going there very soon. I don't know what I'm going to start with. Kissing Cousins, maybe. You get double Elvis in that one. Because he plays him and his blonde-haired cousin. <laughs> imagine two for the price of one what more could you want and who thought we would we're too busy to want to talk about <laughs> i mean elvis movies how very fabulous oh. well that brings us to the end of this episode of postcards from midlife thank you so much for listening and if you enjoyed it please tell your friends and all the midlife women you know and remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and rate and review us too and don't forget to join us on our facebook group on instagram or get in touch with us via our email hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com goodbye goodbye
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.